Hello and welcome back to our devotions on the Psalms. Today we do part 3 of Psalm 90. Now don't worry about seeing this in parts because uh, next Tuesday I will round up the entire Psalm 90 and bring all the parts into perspective. That way we get to see a bigger picture. But today I want to look at uh, Psalm 90 verse 13 to 17. And that's the last part of this psalm. But I also want to give a bit more of my reflections on the second part about our sin and our iniquities because over the last two days I had more insights about it. But let's read first Psalm 90 verse 13 to 17. Let us pray. Father, you promise that you will satisfy us with our desires in the morning with your unfailing love. That even in the midst of suffering, there will be joy and gladness in our days. I pray then that for each of us, we may find this truth. That truth will really allow us to know how loving you are to us, even in a world that is fraught with pain and suffering. Speak your truth to us, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 13. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I would first like to add some reflections to Tuesday's uh, devotion on the Psalms about the sin and iniquity that is spread out right in God's presence. On Tuesday, I talked largely about personal sin, about our intents of the heart, the things that we say to people that no one else hears, things that we do that no one else sees. But as I reflected more on that, on what God sees as the carnage caused by our sin, I realized that a lot of the carnage is caused by institutional sin. It doesn't mean that we blame something else, but we have to look at the environment that we are in, the environment that we have caused others to be in. Let's think perhaps of how we treat others as an institution, as a society. First of all, racism. We may say we, don't, we aren't very racist, and yet I don't think that's true. Each of us in our races look down on other races, suspect another race. But there are also groups of people that we stereotype. For example, Bangladeshis, when we see them, we see them as foreign workers. The question then is, do we treat them as lower than we are? Do we have less compassion for them when we see a group that is from from a status that is or whose work stereotype typically a different group of people. When we see a, a group, a gathering of Indonesians, for example, or Filipino, do we then immediately think these are mates and they behave badly together, they are promiscuous, some would say even? Do we think of them as different simply because of their races? We need to be very aware of that because within a society like ours that is meant to be multiracial, 
there is a lot of racial divide. And the way we look at each other, the way we regard each other, often with contempt and the tinge of snobbery, that affects the morale of the other person. How does the cleaner, Bangladeshi cleaner, feel when they see you? Do they see you as haughty? Do, you, do they see you as a person who's just like them, who shares a humanity with them? Would very much want to share your life with them too, if they would give you a chance? Perhaps a conversation? Would that be a possibility? Where we see, where we treat them as much as we treat our neighbours who live in the house next to ours? Racism is one. But a bigger issue is socio-economic class distinctions. I remember when I was young to I was in the army, I was always taught, taught in every institution, in church as well, that these were bad company. That the people in the lower socio-economic class were bad company, they were bad influence, they were the ones who smoked and the ones who took drugs, the ones who cursed and the ones who lived promiscuous lives. And I was taught to avoid them. And yet at one time as I was living in a Christian drug rehab center, I found that these men were far more generous than we ever, we Christians were. That these men were generous not only with their money, but they were generous with their time, they were generous with their persons. They were open to me. And I found a camaraderie, a friendship, comradeship among them that I could not find in any of our Christian fellowships. To me, there was solidarity, there was compassion, there was care. And as I was leaving that um, drug rehab centre to go to Bible college, they passed the hat around, and the amount that they collected was amazingly large. I joked with them and said, where did you steal this from? Because how could this amount of money have come from poor, very impoverished people with very little savings? And yet they took what they had and thinking that I needed it. And because I was going to Bible college, they gave from the very little that they had. My experience with them was the most moving story ever because I learned from them why Jesus loved them. They had hearts that were compassionate, generous and tender. I hardly ever see that in any church that I've pastored. I hardly ever see that among Christians. And so if we were to think that this was a group that are of scum and of bad influence, we are sadly mistaken. There's so much we can learn from them. And then, part of my work in prison, I've told you about death row, but I haven't told you about HIV block that I spent a lot of time in as well. Prisoners in HIV block showed true compassion to each other. They received each other. Some had bad sores and they cared for them. There was one who could barely eat and they gave him the best of food. They tried to give, help him in various ways. They found ways to help each other. In fact, at one time when medicine was short because um, they, weren't, they were given very generic drugs and they weren't given proper drugs, they shared medication with each other. I never saw so much love among these HIV inmates as well. It was a community of outcasts and within that outcast, uh, within the community, they loved each other and I loved them. These were people whose hearts were tender before the Lord. 
And yes, most of the HIV people were homosexuals. And that brings me to another point that I've been hammering for a large part of the year. And I stopped because I didn't want to bore you or, or to repeat myself about homosexuals in our church, coming to our church. If we keep telling them that they're wrong, they will never come in. One of our most successful ex inmate become pastors, Neville Tan, he's very old now, he was a gangster um, who then became a Christian. And he told us this, that for many years people had come to talk to him and told him that what he was doing was wrong. And he said, like, I don't know. I've heard it ad infinitum that what I'm doing is wrong. No one came to tell me how to make it right. You see, the thing is that it's easy for us to tell people you're wrong, you, what you do is wrong, that when you are, have homosexual sex, you are wrong, that when you rob, you are wrong, when you do this, you are wrong. Have we journeyed with them to explore how we can live aright? Have we ourselves overcome our secret sins, our struggles, and come up with solutions that are real, authentic, that, that are genuine? and then walked with them and said, you know, I know how it feels to struggle. I struggle too, and together we can find an answer. That we can walk with persons who are struggling with hatred, sinful things, shameful things, and say, I experience the same thing, and I want to journey with you, because we are sojourners on this plane. How do we walk with people? Or are we people of condemnation, people who um, judge others and look down on others? And of course, there's this big issue, climate change. For years, the rich have exploited the earth, knowing that it would not be them who would suffer climate crisis. They would always live well and rich. If something happened to their country, they could always move to another. I have a friend who has seven houses in seven countries because, in his words, if something happens to country A, I can go to country B, and then I can go to country C. I have really hatched all my, hatched all my bets. The rich can do that. Where can the poor go? And so we have been oblivious of the harm that we've done to the environment, knowing that we would never really suffer the consequences. But the poor have suffered greatly. But now maybe snake has turned around to bite us, because climate change affects the whole world. It may affect us much later, but it affects us. But imagine what God sees when he looks down and sees the devastation that we have wrought on the earth. Prejudice, hatred, greed, Oh yes, and greed. Greed. I learned about the greed of American, of corporate USA. When we needed drugs for HIV patients, we found that the Americans had, had treaties with Singapore that disallowed generic drugs that cost about a tenth, a fraction, a fifth or a tenth of what they were selling to us. And I felt the frustration of greedy industrialists who forced countries, twisted countries' arms to receive their goods at huge profits and refused to allow poorer people to find the help they needed. That's devastation too. 
And when God sees that, he is grieved and he is angry. But now we come to the third part of God, of pleading with God. You see, when we come to our senses and come to our knees and we pray, because we know that we have mutually hurt each other, in our selfishness, we have hurt each other. The rich American farmers who deprived the poor of medicine for, for COVID now has it coming back to them because these things affect the entire world. And we pay the price. All of us pay the price together. But those who are repentant, those who say, God, have mercy, have compassion on yourselves, will find hope. But what is that hope? Is that hope a reversal of all our fortunes? Do we really think that that this miracle that God does will be to reverse climate change, the damage that we have done to climate, the damage that we have done to our lives and our psyches and our mental health? One of the truths that I realized is that we live in an environment that is very toxic and that toxicity kills us. Someone was asking me why when we prayed for healing for cancer, there was very little healing. And this is what I think, that, we could, that God could heal us, but we live in an environment, a smoky soup, a soup of contamination that will bring the illness back again. It's almost like a person who has suffered heart attack and then he's healed. God heals him and then he goes back to his high cholesterol food and his bad habits and his really bad style of living, he gets it again. And all of us live in this soup of toxicity. Imagine life in Singapore. Why do we get so many heart attacks and high blood pressure and cancer and all that? Largely because of the pressures in our society. We can't get out of that. We could say, well, I, I could retire, but what am I going to live on? Even if I simplified my life, do I have enough to survive? And so we are in an environment that is painful and toxic and that hurts our health, whether physical or mental, psychological. And that's a reality. I realize that for many of us, we can't escape that reality. But what God does is that within that reality, He, he satisfies us in the morning with His unfailing love. The first of it, is what's internal. That God pours His Holy Spirit into us that gives us joy that is un inexplicable, joy that's unexplainable. I think I told you before, but there was a friend of mine who was an ASEAN scholar. He came to Singapore full of hope and then he failed his exams again and again and again. And he said that he would, in his situation, he would have been such a broken man. But each morning as he woke up, there was a swell, a welling of joy within him that he couldn't explain. Just deep joy in his heart. I experienced the same thing when I asked God for it, when I said to God, God, what you gave him, give me as well. And in those moments, I experienced the welling of joy of living water within me. The intrinsic joy is one of the things that God does to satisfy us with his unfailing joy, with his unfailing love. But the second one is to realize how doting our God is towards us. You know, when God, when Jesus was preaching to 5,000 and they were hungry, 
Jesus did not just send them home. He could well have done that and they could all have gone home to eat. But Jesus said, let me feed you. I would call those unnecessary miracles because they were not really dire, in dire need. They could well live without these miracles. <clears throat> but God gave it to them because he is a father who dotes on us. Likewise, when Jesus turned water into wine, it was so unnecessary. Why was he even encouraging people to drink, some of us may say. Well, Jesus did. And Jesus didn't just allow them to go without wine or to have cheap wine. Jesus gave them the best because he is a generous God. Because he is a doting father. All with Zacchaeus, he could have just forgiven Zacchaeus' sin. He didn't have to go to Zacchaeus' house and sit with sinners and publicans, drunkards and tax collectors and enjoy company with them and love them. But that's the way God is. And often we see the doting nature of God in the little things that happen. A friend of mine was quite despondent and then suddenly she saw a rainbow in the sky just appeared like that. And it reminded her of hope, of God's presence. Years ago, a friend of mine told me, asked me, have you ever seen um, lightning bugs in Singapore? And I said, never. They exist in, the, in Australia, in New Zealand. I've never seen them in Singapore. And she said, I saw them twice, decades in between. When I was really down and giving up on life, and God said there will be light. And what I saw were lightning bugs, fireflies flying around. And then she said, another time when I felt the same way, I saw them again. They barely exist in Singapore, but, well, she saw them. But it's these little treats that remind us that God dotes on us, that God loves us desperately. You may have heard this story about my good friend Dom in death row, where one day he woke up and he said, I wish I could have a bowl of noodles. And that day the kitchen equipment failed and there was no bread. And so the officers scrambled and got him a bowl of noodles, got all the prisoners' bowls of noodles. Just imagine God jamming up the whole prison of that department, kitchen of that department, just to give his beloved child a bowl of noodles. That's the way our God is. Look out for each of these little miracles that come unexpectedly and know that we have a God who's watching over us and who satisfies us with his goodness. And third, the third thing that I can think of is the healing and the restoring of relationships. And that is so important because one of the things that brings us down and causes us misery all the days of our life are broken relationships, a coldness and hostility between husband and wife, a fear of having a conversation because every conversation brings about pain and argument and, and, well, great pain. And then, as God teaches us how to hold back on our anger, how to give soft answers, we discover that the other person also gives soft answers. One day we wake up and instead of harsh words, soft, gentle, loving words are exchanged. And we see glimpses of hope of a restoration of relationship. Parents with their children, husbands with their wives. One of the things then I encourage you is do not expect 
always the predictable. Do not think that because you have had such a terrible relationship, the relationship will remain like this for the rest of your lives. Try a different approach. Try a gentle word. More important, watch out for changes. Watch out for gentle words from the other side. You may be very surprised because as much as God is working in your life, God is working in the lives of the others too. And God is trying to break us out of that expectation, that mode of, that mode of bad things. And he's saying, try this and see if love will prevail. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor, to their children. Many things on earth will continue, sadly. This is a pessimistic view, but I think it's quite accurate too. Climate change will, climate crisis will continue. Racism will continue. Hatred towards each other, animosity will continue. But those who plead with God to have compassion on us and take a different tack to life, to a life that God shows us, will find hope. We will discover the presence of a God who really loves us and holds us to his heart. And then the psalmist says, May the favour of the Lord our God rest on us, establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. One of the things that we long for is to do things that really matter, the things that really last. We don't want to do things that disappear just before we die or just after we die and it's all in vain. We want things to matter to people, to the people we love and the people we don't know, maybe even the people we hate if we have that capacity in our hearts. And we ask that every day the things that we do may have a lasting nature in them, a good lasting nature in them. We pray that the words we say will bring healing, and not just temporary healing, but eternal healing. That it will make a difference in each life, that every encounter we have will make a difference in each life. And I tell you, when you start praying that way, you will see wonderful things happen. Pray in your job, pray for your colleagues, pray for the people you engage with. As a young lawyer, I used to pray for every client that I had. And sometimes I saw God work wonders, healing taking place in them, a change in their lives, a wisdom given to them. Every person you minister to, in whichever vocation you are in, every encounter, ask God to establish the work of your hands. And will you always see miracles take place before your eyes? Let us pray. Father, you are God of hope, but you are God of good things, you are God who loves us. And that's not just saying it, Lord, not just saying that you love us, but knowing it, experiencing it, seeing it. I pray for my brothers and sisters, my dear friends who listen to this podcast, that they may share the same experience of you, the doting Father who surprises your children with good things, satisfies them in the morning with your unfailing love. 
I pray that this may be true for each one as they seek you, as they turn to you and say, have compassion on us because we are complicit in hurting others. But Father, have compassion and mercy on us. That we too may see your goodness all the days of our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well then, thank you for tuning in and God bless you. Um, this Sunday, it's attendance for 50, but it's for those who are not vaccinated and those who are vaccinated. I hope then that if you can join us on site, do join us. If you join us online, we very much welcome you. Just a heads up though, for those of you who are not coming on site, either because for whatever reason, it doesn't matter, we are thinking of serving communion to you as well. And we'll think of ways, whether it's mailing the communion elements to you or you coming to collect them or us going to deliver to your house, it doesn't matter. We very much want to have you join us. And so I'll make that announcement this Sunday, but this is just a heads up. If you do need to take communion or wish to take communion, but you can't come to church or you don't want to come to church, you don't really mind. Just give me a call or email me, church office, or call Elaine, or just call the church office or call me on my handphone, it doesn't matter. Call any of us and we'll find a way of getting the Holy Communion elements to you. Alright, so God bless you. Goodbye.